0: Time. It's time to hit the ice penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your penguin. Only on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Welcome into another episode of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I am Chris Mack of 937 The Fan in Pittsburgh and the Fan Morning Show. You want to make sure you get the latest episodes of Fifth Avenue Faceoff as soon as they are available gotta subscribe and whatever app you get your podcasts in best place to do it inside your odyssey app audacy just tap follow up there in the top right hand corner of your screen you'll be notified as soon as new episodes are available and of course you can watch on youtube yeah watch see my face right there you, you see it if you're watching uh go to youtube 937 the fan and uh, click that little notification bell you'll be told as soon as new videos are posted Including episodes of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. So they beat the wild, not what I was expecting, I'll be honest. Uh, I predicted on the fan morning show on Thursday morning that they would lose 3 0. I thought Marc Andre Fleury would come in here, post the shutout, and what is most likely going to be, could be his final game in Pittsburgh. Uh, he did not. Victimized by his old Quebecois friend, Chris Letang, for the first goal. And from there, it, uh, I wouldn't say it was all Penguins, but the Penguins c- controlled the flow for the most part. I thought played very well. Uh, some of the advanced metrics don't necessarily support that. They took advantage of some power play opportunities. Uh, and again, they beat Minnesota four to one. Uh, there were some people I know. Uh, I'm not quite on board with this thought that were a little put off by the flurry, flurry. Um, especially post-game or late in the game, I should say, when the Pens had the game in hand and were up 4-1. I, I had no problem with that whatsoever. I, he's going to go down as one of the most beloved athletes in of the last, let's say, 30 years in Pittsburgh sports. Um, and he's always going to get that kind of reception. You know, I, I, I've had people ask me, well, when do you think that wears off? I don't think it ever will in Marc-Andre Fleury's case. I just don't. I mean, short of him signing with the Flyers and coming back to town and beating the Pens in a playoff series, which he'll never do. It's why he prefers to stay in the Western Conference, actually, uh, because he doesn't want to have to face the Penguins in big games. Um, Short of that, I don't think people would ever stop rooting for that guy in this city, even oddly enough, in a game that the Penguins have to have to stay in the playoff race, which they did. And look, People were, were much more excited to see the Penguins score goals on Marc-Andre Fleury than to see him get out of here with the shutout, as I had predicted. That wasn't like wishful thinking on my part. I just thought it was the way things were going to go. All that being said, it, it does strike me as just a little strange, just a teeny strange, that you would chant for him, Fleury, Fleury, as some people told me they were doing during warmups in pregame. Eh. Save it for after the game if the Penguins win. Uh, Again, I I have no problem with those people, though, that absolutely love the flower and want to root for him, especially when he's not playing the Penguins. Uh, But that a huge win for the Pens, as perhaps they can get away without having to sweep these final three games. It would be tough. They would need they would need Florida to lose at least two of their final three games as well. Um, but that's that's a distinct possibility. Even as well as Florida is playing, averaging better than five goals a game over their last dozen games, uh, blowing some teams out. Um, it's not likely that Florida would lose two of their final three, but it's definitely a possibility with the Maple Leafs and Hurricanes still on the schedule after their a trip to Washington for them this weekend. Pens, of course, have Columbus, Chicago, Detroit. Uh, Detroit. Um, We will talk about those three games in particular in just a couple of minutes after we talk to our guy Max Bolton, Red Wings beat writer for The Athletic. And we'll talk to Max after we get our guy Eric Tangrady into the fold. He joins me next right here on Fifth Avenue Facebook. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding Surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in 5th Avenue Faceoff. I'm Chris Mack, lucky enough to be joined by my man Eric Tang Grady. So much going on in our world's. We joked about it a couple of weeks ago. I feel, yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago now. I guess Tango, uh, our kids, little balls of disease that they are. Mine are a little older than yours, but uh, they've got us running around, keeping us us out of commission. Sometimes, sometimes we're just trying to keep them in check. It's like we're the uh, it's like we're the third line enforcers for our families. We're, we're doing all the dirty work that nobody else wants to do, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't pay very well either. <laughs> uh, that's the biggest difference: uh, salary of zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly
0: oh man let's talk about the pens and where they're at they got three games left a big win over minnesota thursday night um big that they got it against the flower too who everybody was was celebrating uh, pre-game and warm-ups and then after the game as well he's always going to be uh P- penguins fans are always going to have a soft spot for for mark-andre flurry and he's always going to have a soft spot for them but it's another win to continue this pattern now. The last nine games in a row, win-loss, 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 win. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. Um, other than uh, some Dramamine, uh, is there a cure for this up, down, up, down? That's given us seasickness here. Um, is there a cure for more consistency out of this team? Is it maybe just the fact that they've got three below-water teams who are not going to the playoffs staring them in the face that perhaps they can – rattle these three wins off, catch Florida or New York, get themselves into the playoffs and maybe have some kind of momentum going into a first round series if they make it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if they're going to have any sort of success in the playoffs, like consistency is going to be the biggest challenge for them. Uh, I, I just pulled up on my screen, like we talked about down the stretch, who's going to like start playing playoff hockey the earliest. And you see Florida five wins in a row, six and four in the last 10, you know, the islanders six three and one in their last 10 and then the pens just five and five so whatever's happened to this point you just kind of have to park it and just it is what it is you have three games against opponents you're supposed to beat Let like when puck drops let's play let's start playing playoff hockey right now so um we've been having a lot of the same conversations. definitely the the definition of insanity but i think at this point uh, if you asked all of us if they were in this situation with three games to play, with essentially controlling their own destiny, we'll, we'll, we'll call it that. Uh, they pretty much have to go 3-0, I think, to to solidify a playoff spot,
0: in my opinion. Yeah, I could see a path with only winning two of them. It would maybe include a loser's point in the third game, but you don't, you don't want to leave that up to chance, especially when you're chasing in the standings. Um, like you said, though, they did start fast against the Wild. Uh, Chris Latang scoring quick out of the gate, uh, and it felt like they were ready to go from the hop, unlike against New Jersey a couple nights before that when they just looked lost. And I'll be honest, that's the the most disillusioned I've heard Mike Sullivan sound, I think, post-game in his Penguins career after that Tuesday loss to the Devils. That honestly sounded like a guy, Eric, who didn't know what buttons to push. Might not have even known where the buttons were, let alone which ones to push
1: yeah he's in a situation where he's probably exercised all of his uh we'll call it the tools in his toolbox on like what he needs to do to get a, a normal team going or get results or get consistency and he just seemed almost perplexed in his uh his statements of, i'm kind of out of tools at this point yeah. um and i think that's just been the challenge all along is they get kicked in the teeth on tuesday they respond and play one of their best games on thursday but like can they continue to play consistent hockey? It's almost like this is it. This this three-game stretch will probably tell us the entire story of this team. If you haven't watched them all year and you watched these next three games, I'm pretty sure you could write a pretty good thesis on what kind of hockey team they were at this point.
0: Yeah, we had a good conversation this morning on the morning show, though, about the idea of you know, you say it at the beginning of the year when you start the season, every game counts the same, right? Because you're trying to impart this sense of urgency in early to, to mid-October, um, and yet you don't really feel it. I, I don't think as a, I, I, you, you could enlighten me. Maybe you do feel it as a player, but I think as a fan, you definitely don't feel it. You know, if I go back and look now, I, for for six months, I had put out of mind, like there was a, a particularly ugly loss on the road to Vancouver back in like late October where they lost five to one. And I had forgotten about that until I went back and looked and I was like, oh yeah, that loss sucks just as much now as a loss to the, you know, come from behind or come from ahead losses to the Islanders or losing to Montreal or Ottawa at home or losing to the Sharks before the all-star break. They all count the same in the standings and there's going to be at least half a dozen, if not, you know, maybe double digit games we could look back on and go. Man, if they just would have showed up for that one, maybe that's the two points that gets them in.
1: Yeah. And, and I think it's even deeper than that. Like some of those games, I, I, I'm thinking one period, let alone right. like they didn't show up for the whole game, like one shift, one five minute stretch, one save, one, you know, there there is literally, I know it's compiled to this point, but there are so many like small events that have happened throughout the season where. I don't really think we would be overly surprised if like this team was sitting in the three seed with a hundred points. Like I feel like they had the ability to, to, to to have that type of season. Now that being said, like, that's just not the results that they have. I mean, I look at goal differential Mm -hmm. uh, of all the teams in the race right now for the playoffs. Like they're the only team that's in a a negative goal differential. Like, not a recipe for success, not a recipe for penguins hockey to have success uh, in the past. But the, the only good thing about, and what we've kind of talked about is like you could talk two weeks ago of like hey fellas this is the most important game of the year and you're in the room like
2: oh, okay
1: whatever yeah right. you're right it is but like every period is the most important period of the year for these guys and it, it, it the writing's on the wall so I do expect like a type of urgency that maybe some of that veteran group that's just so used to winning and having success and just assuming it's going to come and the younger guys is the same thing like oh, wow, we're a point back in the standings with three to go. Like, we can't even take a shift off. I hope to see that moving forward, especially with the result they had against Minnesota.
0: Well, one of, one of the things that will lead to success, and you're right, it, it, for people that say, oh, are they going to get in the playoffs? They're in the playoffs now, essentially. They've got to win from here on out. Um, one of the, th- the the recipes for success, and I'll lean on your coaching acumen here, um, the special teams have not been good the last few weeks eight of their last 46 on the power play that's just barely 17 percent um the pk they've given up 11 goals on their last 38 penalty kills that's close to a 29 percent success rate for the opposition there um that's something that even if they do win these final three games that's going to bury them come playoff time against a team like boston especially yes
1: absolutely the the, this, the, the way this team it, gets in the playoffs and the way this team is successful in the playoffs is they have to win the special teams battle because on paper five on five, they don't match up well against uh, pretty much anybody in the Eastern Conference. But what I can say with that much firepower and that much um, talent, if they can outscore teams in the power play, like they can win a lot of games. They have the offensive ability to sneak a greasy road hockey game because of their power play. Now where it is right now, like, that's not not even close to good enough like that power play needs to be clicking probably 20 plus percent for me right. to, to be able to as if i'm a betting man or someone with educated hockey advisor like that's the way that they have to win a series
0: what do you see in this power play I, the penalty kill i think might be more a matter of personnel they get ruda back they get a couple other grittier guys back in the lineup maybe it's just a matter of mentality and personnel um but on the power play. You know, I think back to the five-on-three against the Bruins uh, last weekend in particular, and everything's on the perimeter. I'm not seeing pucks go into the middle of the ice. I'm rarely seeing pucks cut across the ice. And most importantly, we're not getting what I think has become a a staple of success on this power play when they do have it, which is north-south movement in the zone. Um, We haven't seen that, and it's just it strikes me that there's a whole lot of looking for the perfect shot on the power play right now.
1: Yeah. I think that they are valuing possession a little bit too much in the sense of like, okay, now we have it. Let's just pass it around. Um, From my experience and and, and over the years of being a successful power play player, even in the minors, um, everything has to start off with a shot. So once you have a shot on net, well, then what happens? Then puck pursuit becomes everything. Who are those guys driving that first power play unit to pursue pucks? I mean, you have, you have Gensel, Crosby, Malcolm, Letang. Um, and then um, who am I missing? I'm missing one more, but you, you just have to, yeah, Raquel yeah. You, the, to me, like you almost need a one Ford checker in that group to pursue pucks Cause every scene, anything that ever opens on a power play has to happen off of a shot and they get mm. that shot and they just seem like a very one and done power play where we work the perimeter. We get to the weak side. We take that one timer. Now what? Now are we in full on like five five mode of retrieving pucks and getting back to our spots where to me it's like they get that shot and everyone's just kind of waiting on who's going to fight to pursue that puck. And I right. think that's why you've seen at times that second unit has had some more success because they're a little bit more meat and potatoes where everyone knows we're going to shoot and that's OK. But are we pursuing pucks? Once we get puck pursuit, then the seams open, then the good things happen. And I think that's what's missing on that unit is someone that is willing to just pursue pucks and keep the plays alive after that shot.
0: It it almost makes you makes you wonder, and I know they don't want to mess with personnel on that first power play unit. You know, you hesitate to take a guy like Jake Gensel off the power play where he's found most of his goal scoring success this year. But, you know, would a Jason Zucker out there on the first power play unit give them that extra little bit of bite that they need, um, especially to go after pucks in the dirty areas of the ice, whether it's down below the goal line, behind the net, or right there in the crease, in the in the greasy areas. One thing that has helped the power play in the past when Sidney Crosby's been hot. He's not hot right now, Eric. Two goals in his last 14 games. And I'll ask you this. You tell me. We've never seen Sidney Crosby uh, give in to age or injury other than when he had his battles with concussion-like symptoms. But this is 35-year-old Sidney Crosby. And I... I'm not counting on it being age that's catching up to Sidney Crosby because I know what he does to try and keep himself in shape. I'm sure he's in shape, but this is only the second time in his career that he will have played an entire 82-game season in the regular season. I'm worried that perhaps at 35, he doesn't recover maybe as quickly as he used to, and this is starting to catch up to him, and it could lead to, again, even if they do get into the playoffs, it could lead to some issues in that first round series whoever it's against
1: yeah no and I mean I I was spending some time this morning looking over his like his minutes this year and obviously I haven't studied the Penguins game by game uh for the last few years but I, I don't ever remember him being like 20 to 25 minutes every single night I mean that is a lot to ask out of a centerman who's playing against other teams top lines uh in a full 82 game season like you said like maybe he needed somebody to tell him like not to go to the all-star game. Maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. there are certain moments in the season where he needs to just take a step back. He's an unbelievable hockey player, probably the best to ever play in my opinion, but to tell somebody like that to take a step back can be hard at times. But I think down the stretch that many minutes um, when Sid is in these kind of slumps, like I'm looking at his shot totals. Yeah. He had a nine shot game against Nashville, but, like He's a five-plus shots-on-goal type of player every single game, and he's pretty much driving somewhere around, probably averaging around three shots a game in this mm. mini slump that he's in. So I would just like him to get more shots on that, and hopefully playing less than 20 in these last two games with the blowout in New Jersey and having a little bit of a lead against Minnesota will hopefully give him a little breath of fresh air to get, get ramped up. But it's a lot to ask out of him. Yeah,
0: of it. It, it's a good point you make, too, that you know you'd love to be able to manage minutes on Sid, but... When his line is one of the only two lines in your lineup that's providing constant offensive pressure, you're not afforded that opportunity. This isn't a team that has an HBK line or a Stahl-Cook-Kennedy line that can go out there and provide offensive punch uh, and also play a 200-foot game. You know When you're counting on Crosby's and Malkin's lines to do that constantly, those guys aren't going to get the kind of break that keeps them fresh when you do come around to late March, early April, you're, it, it, it's just, that's a, another byproduct of not winning games. You should have won earlier in the season is now you can't limit Sid's minutes really, because like you said earlier, every shift, every period matters.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that was the biggest takeaway. Um, if people haven't listened, even though it's a week later, like the, the Ray Ferraro interview was like out of his world. I think he did a incredible job of almost humbling uh, our fan base a little bit when, you know we're coming off that huge win and he's like pump the brakes like the nationals beat up um you know boston's weakness is their age up front so what has boston been doing in the last couple of weeks like managing kreitching managing bergeron like giving those guys an opportunity to try to just like take a deep breath before a long playoff run even the young players like the tampa bays right you had kucherov miss a whole season and come into the playoffs fresh wait till colorado gets a, a healthy gabriel landeskog probably back right. for this playoff like I'm sure he could have played two months ago, but why not give him extra time? Um, that is the recipe right now. Is like, you're going to endure war. You're preparing for a three month war and no disrespect to our service members. I, we use that term in the hockey. Yeah. Field, but yeah. Um, like these guys are going to go through hell and back for three months. And to be rested at that age, like to give you the most success, like that's, that's what worries me about even this playoff. run. like, he needs to play 22 to 25 every single game if it goes seven, he's got to do that. And that's a tough, tough ask out of someone like Sid uh, as he gets a little older.
0: You mentioned uh, the talk I had with Ray Ferraro last week. I thought his playoff proposal was pretty interesting in talking about, it was very similar. It sounded like to me to the NBA play-in proposal, which if we had that this year, yeah, the Penguins would be securely in a playoff spot if you want to call it that, but it would be a a play-in spot, right? Like, They would be, I think, eighth right now. No, ninth, obviously, in the Eastern Conference. So they would have to play a game against, what, Buffalo, I believe it would be, uh, in order to move on to the second play-in game against uh, the winner of the Islanders or the loser of the Islanders and Panthers. Um, We talk all the time about tweaking the playoff field and how much we miss maybe the one through eight format that was standard for years. Um, Some people like the fact that we get divisional matchups, uh steadily year after year but then you have people who say well th- the lightning and the maple Leafs have basically just been jockeying for home ice for the last three months and really haven't had as much to play for um what about a play-in system like the nbas or just a tweak back to the one through eight format are you what do you think of the current playoff field and whether it needs to be changed
1: i do think it needs to be changed because i think like like you said like the late in the season how much like Importance do a lot of these games have when in, in reality it, a lot of things are solidified? Like, if you look at both sides, you have Florida, the Islanders, Pittsburgh playing for something, and then you pretty much have Winnipeg and Calgary are the only two teams, uh, right. and, and Nashville, obviously, than that, too. But like, I would love that format that he proposed, I think it would be incredible. When you talk about a, a league who is the playoffs, play, like, you talk to the, the non casual hockey fan, they say. Oh man, I don't watch the regular season, but I love playoffs. Right now, you have a, a fan base in Buffalo that has something to get excited for. Ottawa's a young, hungry team. Detroit's on their way up. Like the, the NHL struggle from a revenue standpoint compared to every other league. And you would think that they would have been the pioneers to implement this more than any other sport because playoff revenue is is off the charts. I bet you if you looked at all the averages and attendance for Detroit, Ottawa, Buffalo, you give those two guaranteed playoff. You know, best of five series or whatever that may be. That's the three series. You give them an extra playoff game, and sell out inflated prices, revenue is going to go through the roof.
0: Yeah. And, and even if it were just the, the one game play in like the NBA does, I think anytime you add that instant elimination drama, uh, like they've done in the NBA, like you, like they used to do with the wild card games and major league baseball um, that, that instant one game bang, you've got an instant game seven atmosphere, wherever it's being played. Um, I think that would be huge. And like you said, it, the Red Wings, the Senators, they'd still be in the conversation. Buffalo would be in the conversation. Uh, Nashville, Calgary, and Winnipeg would would not just be battling for the final playoff spot, but battling to maybe uh, get a, an opportunity to win the seventh seed away from Seattle, if that were a possibility, uh, if we were talking about the NBA system, or even just one through eight, go back to that even, and I, I'd, I'd be okay with it. Something about the same teams playing each other every year um, doesn't quite do it for me. Although Ray did point out as well, it, we're likely to get a devil's Rangers series this year, uh, which would be huge. We haven't had one of those in a long time. So before I let you run uh, and enjoy your Easter weekend tango, uh, I got to ask in honor of Chris Letang's 1000th and now 1,001st NHL games, it always floors me the by bi- and sometimes trilingual abilities of hockey players. Now, you grew up out on the other side of Pennsylvania. I don't I know I don't think Delco is an official language yet. Um, but eh, 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 Joe Flacco. Um, yeah. but it's close. Uh, that being said, an, an official foreign language, does Eric Tangrady have a best foreign language? Did you have to learn any? Uh you, you were in the Montreal system for a little while, right? Um, and did you ever have a moment where you screwed up a foreign language in a big way?
1: I, not that I can remember. I mean, I'll be honest. Like most times when you're playing somewhere where the language isn't like your, your number first or even second language, I, I never really got a chance to specialize in a second language. Like I went up and played in Ontario, so I've pretty much mastered like five different accents, but never a second <laughs> language just because of all the places that I played. I mean, I grew up in Philly. I moved to Pittsburgh. Right. Uh, I played junior hockey in Canada. Um, I played in Michigan. Like I literally have touched almost all of these unique accents all throughout my career, but never had to deal with um, a true second language. And when in Montreal, you'd, you know, you'd have a French guy that would kind of lead the charge at dinner and take you around and do all right. those things. And uh, in Russia, same thing. You'd have a Russian guy who would help you with the language in any way that he could. But the only thing I've mastered over the years is the swear words because those are the ones you hear <laughs> most on the bench, whether that be a Russian player with Gino um or a French player uh what you play with what you hear the most of is the uh the swear words
0: did you ever marvel like I remember Gino when he first came over I mean he 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 was he was scared to be quite honest to to go in front of the English speaking media without uh his translator uh his interpreter George I think his name was um who would help him out and then it's it always strikes me though to see guys like Chris Letang even when he first came up um his English was really broken to see guys gradually learn English as their second language to the point where now, I mean, Gino uh, did an interview on ABC at, uh, after one of the games uh, earlier this season, when they were on national TV, Chris Latang goes out there and, and has no problem speaking English. Um, that, that just, that always struck me how quickly guys would pick it up and become comfortable with it. If you threw me, like when you had to go over to the KHL, if you threw me over in Russia for a week and told me, "Sorry, you're on your own, kid," I'd be a disaster. I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it three days.
1: You'd be surprised, just the locker room environment, what you pick up being force fed that information. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Gino having Donchar early on in his career probably like hindered his language a little bit because he could just rely on him all the time. And then there was those years where he probably didn't have any help at all in the locker room, and that's where his his English developed more than ever. The funny thing about Gino is he speaks way better English even five, six years ago, but he he has a great excuse to not have to talk to the media. I don't understand. I don't understand. And you always kind of remembered, you know, like laughing and just like, oh, oh sorry, don't understand what the PR people. So right. um, being forced to, to 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 have to listen and, and speak that language and understand or have no choice mm-hmm. kind of forces you to grow uh, and develop it very, very quickly. And I think that's what happen to these guys in this environment in this locker room
0: well i'll let you run and enjoy the holiday weekend hopefully everyone stays healthy and uh, we'll see if this team can secure enough in the final three games to sneak their way into the playoffs i know we'd all appreciate even if it's a tough series against the bruins on tap we'd all appreciate at least another four or five maybe six hockey games to sit back and watch and like you said the high stakes nature of stanley cup playoff hockey is always a lot more fun as well appreciate the time today man we'll catch up soon
1: yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks.
0: Great stuff from Tango, as always. Yeah, Gino, uh, it, 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 it. I don't know why it shocks me. He's been here a long time, admittedly. He and LeTang both, but that second language thing. I, I think I could spend 18 years in Russia and probably never pick it up. 18 years in Quebec, for that matter. And I, parlay view? I don't know. Um. Anyway, from that to the Penguins' opponent on Saturday afternoon, the Red Wings. Eh, Last time the Pens went to Detroit, it led me to, within this much, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, this close to come within a a mental breakdown where I just muttered pizza, 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 under my breath constantly uh, after David Perron lit up Casey DeSmith in the third period. Is there reason to believe... The Penguins could get past the Red Wings this time and then beat Chicago and Columbus as well in the final week. We'll talk to Max Boltman, Red Wings beat writer for The Athletic, about where the Red Wings are right now and the uh, 50,000 foot view, or I guess 400 mile away view of the Penguins from Max in Detroit. That's next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding Surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into 5th Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack with you. And the Pens get ready for another trip to Detroit. Saturday afternoon. It's a 1 o'clock Faceoff on ABC Last time the Pens were in Detroit did not go well. Uh, you may remember David Perron, hat trick, Casey DeSmith, Meltdown. Uh, another one of those games that the Pens should have won, and had they won, they wouldn't be chasing Florida for the final spot in the Eastern Conference playoff race right now, but they are, and so they need this one even more. Max Boltman, Red Wings beat writer for The Athletic, joins me to talk about it. Uh, Max, thanks for making the time today while you're traveling. I really appreciate it.
2: Hey, it's my pleasure. It was it was worth it just to hear you do parlez vu in the Pittsburgh accent. Parlay vu
0: per manis, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, I don't know what to make. Let's let's start with the perspective from the Red Wings. It's now ten years in counting, they will have gone without a playoff series victory. Last time they yep. got one, Mike Babcock was the head coach. We're talking Datsuk, Zetterberg, Franzen, and Cronwall were top four on this team and scoring that year. Um, how long and winding and meandering a path has it been? And are they any closer to emerging from the wilderness than they were say four or
2: five years ago when they really bottomed out closer for sure. Uh, the, the question is how close is that? Right. Cause they were really, right. really far away. And uh, in, in some ways, whenever I talk, you know, Red Wings with with someone from Pittsburgh or someone who covers the Penguins, I kind of feel like I'm talking to them from their future because I, yes. I you're I, a time I, traveler. I, you guys are in for this uh, out there. But uh, that, that's all the more reason to enjoy. I know at the end of the the Red Wings streak, fans were so eager to to get the rebuild moving that, uh, you know, they're almost like, stop, stop making the playoffs. No, enjoy these things because you're, you're going to miss them. Um they are closer though. I, I think, you know, especially when you look at the young guys who have come in, Cider, Raymond, those are the obvious ones. This year, uh, you know, Pittsburgh obviously saw Simon Edmondson a couple weeks ago, see him, see him again tomorrow. Uh and, and he's a, a young player they're gonna build around. Jonathan Berggren's come up, Marco Casper got his debut and promptly got hurt. Carter Mazur in the AHL is a is a real bright spot for them. So they're they're moving along, they're coming. I don't know if it's going to be next year. You look at the teams like Buffalo and Ottawa that are in the same spot, but maybe a little ahead. I, I saw Buffalo last night, and they they look like they're going to be a wagon soon. So,
0: yeah.
2: uh, the East is unforgiving. Penguins fans know that really well. Uh, closer? I don't know. I don't know if I'd say close though.
0: What's the feeling uh, when you know you you see Dylan Larkin get extended, right? But then you see Bertuzzi dealt at the deadline. Um, is there a realization that hey? We've got to understand which guys are going to be pieces of the next good Red Wings team and which ones aren't. It reminds me a lot of, from a Pittsburgh perspective anyway, the Pirates and and the situation there. And now where they're trying to identify, okay, which guys are actually going to be a part of this team the next time it's competitive in two or three years? And which guys do we have to be willing to perhaps jettison to bolster the system?
2: Yeah, stuff like the trade deadline, it, it, it speaks louder than anything any GM could ever say, right? It tells you mm-hmm. when they think they're going to be good. And and trading Tyler Bertuzzi tells you two things. Number one, that they didn't feel like they were going to be close enough on a deal. Uh, and, and number two, that they think their window is longer out than the next, you know, two or three years that Tyler Bertuzzi has left in his prime. Um, I, I think that's always very instructive. It, it was a roller coaster. You look at Dylan Larkin, who's not too much younger than Tyler Bertuzzi, a year and a half. Um, but I think it's the center factor, how hard it is to replace centers. Mm-hmm. And that, that week was a, a emotional roller coaster, the whole thing, because they, they were in a playoff spot at one point. They go and they get smacked around in Ottawa, out of the playoffs, boom, two big pieces traded with Bertuzzi and, and Hironic, which was the more surprising one. Um, and then all of a sudden they go into this spiral, I think as the locker room realizes what management has has realized, right? So um, it, it was, It's it's been a complicated season, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. They come out of it. Uh, improved for sure, but not that much different in the standings than where they're at. I think right now they're 12th from the bottom, but they're within a yeah. few points. So, you know, 8 to 12 range is pretty pretty tight right now.
0: Yeah, and it, it looks like they're going to be somewhere in that middle, um, somewhere between 10 and 16, I guess, in draft order. And then they'll have the Islanders first round pick as well. They've got three second round picks. So there's lots of draft capital there with which to work, but um, less than 5% chance, I think if I do the quick math, um, of somehow ending up in Connor Bedard territory, not likely at this point, but um, will they be happy in the middle? Um, or is there an aggressive maneuver that Steve Eiserman can make to get them into the top 10? I, I saw your recent mailbag at the athletic and it doesn't sound like, you make a good point. You just don't traditionally see that in the NHL draft teams uh, trade up from 14, 15, 16 into that top 10 territory. Um, it, would they rather do that with this, you know, five picks in the top two rounds that they have, aggressively try to move up, or if you're not getting Bedard, is it not worth it? If you're not top five, is it not worth it? And would they rather sit back and go for, I guess, I don't want to say quantity over quality, but is is that perhaps the theory going into this draft?
2: Yeah, I, I think the you're you're right. It's it just doesn't happen in the NHL. The last time I think there was a, a trade up within the top ten i think it was 15 years ago and it was like five for seven and a couple other things and and, and that's not the kind of trade we're talking about here we're talking about right. probably 10 11 12 to try to get up and and it, honestly yeah five it's probably worth it but you know once you once you talk about seven eight nine ten eleven twelve i don't think the gaps there are huge in this class i think what will be more valuable if they want to do a trade is to move up from the islander pick and try to get two in the top 14 now just missed the playoffs. You could kind of have that organically. Um, but I, I like their odds at this point. So we'll see. But I think if you're talking trade-up, that's the one. It's try to get two picks in the top 14 because no one's moving off of Bedard. No one's moving off of Fantilli or Carlson. Um, and 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 I don't think really they're going to move off of Will Smith, David Reinbacher. Mavi Mitchkov's the wild card. But um, that that's kind of how I see it.
0: One more thing I wanted to ask you about uh, this this current rebuild for the Red Wings, because it's also something that I think is oddly um, a- a- analogous to what the Penguins are going through is the situation in goal. And Alex Nedeljkovic, I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. It's a whole lot of consonants and not enough vowels for me. Um, <laughs> Alex Nedeljkovic uh, seems to be the guy in goal. Billy Huso is also also there. Both guys that should have developed, you would think, into starters if they were going to develop into impact NHL starters by this age, 27, 28, 29 years old. Um, it, Did they plan on moving forward with these guys? Because again, the Penguins are in a very similar situation with Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith, where the best option might be neither of those guys and looking for someone external this offseason. Although again, the free agent market this offseason is not exactly red hot either.
2: No, nor has it been for, for a few of the last few years. I think it tells you something about in the NHL when teams have a goalie that they like or have a goalie that other teams like, they find a way to either keep them or trade them before mm-hmm. letting them go for nothing. That's how, how valuable they are. Husso to me is the guy. He, he's the guy they've ridden the whole year. Um, he's gonna. I don't know what his final start count is going to be, but it's it's going to be the kind of like leaned on starter workload. Nadelkovic is actually sent down to the AHL for a long stretch this year, even though coming in, it seemed like that was a true 50-50 split. He was the guy last year. Uh, So clearly, you know, they they had some confidence shaken there. Um, Huso's the guy I think they're going to build around, and, and, you know, whether or not you believe in him is kind of – it's a little bit of a Rorschach test. There have been stretches and games where Vili Huso has looked like he can be a 50-start kind of goalie in the NHL, maybe even a little more. But as the workload has gotten up, you know, I don't know what his exact safe percentage is as of this morning, but it's below 900 now. And mm. that's not what you think of as, as a as a bona fide number one in the NHL. It, you know, some teams would say that's not even necessarily a bona fide like 1B. Um, I think that's a product of a little bit of injury, a little bit of overwork, and then just kind of what the team as a whole has gone through. I, but I, I think, you know, that it's fair to say that there's still a little bit of um, checking to be done on, on Vili to make sure he's what they think he is. So uh, he he's the guy that they're going to go forward with. He's the guy that's under contract for next year. But it I wouldn't say it's it's a problem solved by any means.
0: Is Nedeljkovic what what is he? Because again, to bring it back to to a penguin centric question, there are going to be people who are sifting through the names of UFA goaltenders to be, and Nedeljkovic is is one of those. Um, you you just outlined why he's probably not the the A number one guy for the Red Wings moving forward. So I, I would imagine most Penguin fans wouldn't go, oh yeah, that's the guy we want uh, to replace Jari and or DeSmith. But is he the kind of guy that, let's say the the Penguins decide to move on from Jari and DeSmith and find a starter somewhere else, but they're looking for uh, an affordable backup. Is is Nadelkovich that kind of uh, 1B, 2A kind of guy who you can count on to give you 25 starts a year?
2: Yeah. So what's interesting when you say that he kind of does remind me of a little bit what the Penguins have cycled between over the last five, six years and that he can get really hot. He can steal you a series, two series, and he can look all world for stretches. He, I have watched him play outstanding hockey for stretches as long as like a couple months. He also goes through these real lows and it seems like, oh boy, like, I don't know how he's going to get out of this one when the highs are there. He he looks like a stud and that's what he was for Carolina's rookie year in that COVID year. That's why the Red Wings brought him in. And he was that most of the first half of last season too and then he hit the lows and the lows continued into this year they sent him to the ahl since he's been back we're seeing really good alex nadelkovich again and i think it's good timing for him because i think it will get him a shot somewhere else probably not as a going in as a starter but in that kind of 2a role 25 30 starts or whatever and he may be really good there but I, I i do think rhythm is rhythm helps for guys like that who can be streaky and that's not typically what you get as a backup with that would be my main question with him but he he's immensely talented. It's just a matter of that the highs are high and the lows can be low.
0: From a guy with a whole lot of consonants to at least one guy who's got a whole lot of vowels and, and even more umlauts, (laughs) Olimata has actually developed into what I think we thought he was going to develop into here in Pittsburgh. Um, he can be a top pairing guy if you need him to, he can be a steadying uh, force or impact for a younger partner on a depth pairing, um, and I'll be honest, the the late career renaissance for David Perron is, I think, unexpected for a lot of Penguins fans. Um, maybe that's just because we you know, we're we're a little bit more surprised by what he did to the Penguins in particular a couple of weeks ago. But um, what have those former Penguins, in particular, Mata, I think, we're more interested in. What have they provided because of his Stanley Cup experience? What have they provided to this team that is? Very young and inexperienced in some spots. And even in its more experienced spots, again, I bring up the Larkins and the cops of the world, um, not very deep on postseason experience necessarily.
2: Yes, exactly. And I think that's a big part of it. He, he's a sta- stabilizing force. I mean, he, he he's kind of been a four or five for them throughout the course of the year. He, he's either the kind of the number two guy on the second pair or the, or the kind of the driver of the third pair. But either way, he's, he's bringing you exactly what you want to see from a steady veteran puck mover. Uh, he, he makes the right decision. He's pretty predictable to his teammates. Things just you, you feel probably a little more confident when he's on the ice. And I think that does come from having played in those kind of moments that uh, that he played in in Pittsburgh and then even a little bit um, in Los Angeles in the playoffs last year. Uh, so he, he's been huge. And I I think uh, that's why they extended him. They, they like him in that role. Uh, they've got a lot of young D that they're going to be working in in the coming years. And I think he's a really good guy for those young players to be around. Uh, and then Perron, yeah, he's just kind of reinvented himself and, and he's he keeps finding a way to be, you know, just really tough to play against. He, he hangs onto the puck about as well as anybody in the NHL and that's how he does it. It's kind of that proverbial old man strength that he's got going <laughs> for him there um, and, and it, it's worked really well for him in Detroit. Before I let you run, Max,
0: um, give me the the view from three, 400 miles west of Western Pennsylvania. Um, what do you, as someone who's watched the league all year, think of this team? Um, will the Pens get in? Uh, if so, how far can they go, if anywhere? And if they don't get in, uh, what's the view uh, from around the league and from Detroit in particular, a place where you mentioned because of their postseason battles, 15 years ago, where perhaps there's a different perspective on what the Penguins are going through. If they don't make it, what then?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I will say I picked the Penguins to win the Stanley cup before this season. And I saw the the power vacuum in the East and thought mm-hmm. some team with veterans is going to fill it. I think it's going to be the Penguins. I was, I whiffed on that. I, I think I was like basically picturing, not quite the degree to which Boston's done it, but that kind of thing, right? When there's a vacuum, you, you you go to the guys who have been there who you trust. I thought that right. he said it, Malkin, and said it was Bergeron and company. Right? Um, I've been surprised by how it's gone. A lot of that I think comes comes to Jari. Um, I, I expected him to be one of the ten best goalies in the league, and it, obviously it hasn't worked out that way this year. But I do think, and and I'm I'm colored by reading my colleagues Josh Yowie and Rob Rossi. But I do think when you go and you look in hindsight at the way that Hextall has chosen to kind of complement these stars, it does not make a lot of sense from from afar. And so. Uh, that is what I kind of see. I still think they get in, but I don't, I, you know, like I said, I, I was way too high on them coming in and I don't know how much of that is me just trying to hope I'm not worlds wrong and they don't even get into the playoffs here. So I still think they get in. I like their path better than I like Florida's, Um, even though I think I like Florida's probably uh, roster a little better at this point, but I, I like the Penguins path more. And when they get in, you never know. I, I don't think I like them against the Bruins, but hey, maybe they can get in and, and be that uh, first wild card. I think they would have a chance against Carolina. They they certainly would have the star power edge, and Carolina doesn't have too much more certainty in goal than they do. If they get in, I think they can win around there, and and, and then you'll see what happens. So um, I, I think the long term, obviously everyone knows they're in for some tough years when – when Sid and when, when Gino hang it up, uh, hang them up. And, and that's just inevitable. Right. But, uh, like I was saying at the top, enjoy these playoff runs while, while you have them. Cause they, you know, they're still a whole lot better than the alternative.
0: Well, yeah. If you think, you think if you ask the average Red Wings fan, Hey, you could have traded Dotsuk and Zetterberg before they fully fell off their prime and gotten something in return, but you would have, you, you wouldn't have those, th- those visions of those guys, stuck in your mind as lifelong Red Wings right or you could have let them go out kind of limping as they did um, and you'll constantly have those memories of them as lifelong Red Wings but it's it's going to make the rebuild more arduous and a longer process how do you think Red Wings fans would answer that question
2: based on my twitter mentions i think they would prefer the the trade option right but mm-hmm. i i question it. i i think it's a grass is greener thing i think it's yeah. while you're going through it it's tough and in 30 years you're gonna be glad that that Henrik Zetterberg was a lifelong guy. They actually did trade that suit, but it yeah. was really just his contract cap dump. Yeah, yeah. And then they traded away the pick that was Jacob Chikrin in that trade. So uh, that one in particular is an oops. <laughs> uh, but my feeling is, in 30 years, you're gonna be glad that those guys are. And 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 I cannot picture Sidney Crosby in any yeah. other uniform. It's weird enough seeing Patrick Kane. I I can't do it with Crosby. <laughs>
0: Max Boltman of The Athletic, he covers the Detroit Red Wings, does so very well, and he'll be covering Penn's Wings Saturday afternoon at Little Caesars Arena as well. Thanks for the time today, man. I really do appreciate you carving out a few minutes.
2: Appreciate you, Chris, anytime.
0: Max actually was uh, has some experience. Spent some time at the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, so that explains his uh, outsized enjoyment of my uh, usage of yinzer french earlier parlez v Yins from north versailles ace for sales dummy anyway uh thanks to max again for joining us uh and giving us again like a glimpse into the future right it's like if you could get in marty mcfly's i guess technically it's doc brown's delorean right i always call it marty mcfly's delorean but i'm totally wrong there it's not his car it's doc brown's if you could get in Doc Brown's DeLorean and travel into the future to see what the rebuild is going to look like after Crosby, Malkin, and Latang finally hang him up, it's probably the Detroit Red Wings right now, right? Um, which is a little disconcerting because you know how tough it's been for them over the last couple of years. But that's who the Pens play on Saturday afternoon, a Red Wings team that is five, six, and 5-6-1 in their last 12, but averaging better than four goals per game in those 12 games. So can the Pens slow them down? Can they get a 60-minute effort unlike what they got last time when Casey DeSmith played pretty well for 40 minutes and the team as a whole played fairly well for 40 minutes and then they fell apart. David Perron, three goals. Casey DeSmith melting down Little Caesars Arena. Pizza, pizza. Yeah, go back. It was a whole episode of me basically imploding on myself because of that game. Um, but Detroit, Detroit... As some of the Canadian guys like to say. Um, I can't even replicate how how they say Detroit. De- Detroit Detroit. I can't do it. Anyway, and then Chicago, uh, for the fan appreciation night, final home game of the year on Tuesday. The Blackhawks are bad. Like, real like tied for Columbus for the league low in the standings, 56 points bad. But like lost nine of their last 10 and 16 of their last 20 bad. So that's one that you absolutely have to have. And then the final game of the year out in Columbus, Penguins will visit the Blue Jackets on Thursday the 13th. That one. Columbus is has got the worst record in the league. So don't get me wrong, they're not good. They're not even slightly well, not slightly improving. They've lost 7 of their last 10. Um they haven't had a 3 game winning streak all season mm. and they've had four losing streaks of no five losing streaks pardon me of four games or longer including a stretch from right before Halloween until just after Christmas where they went 7-18-2 and two, seven wins in 27 games they were at their worst about halfway through the season again they're not good now. They've lost seven of their last ten. But we saw them hang four goals on the Pens before the Penguins finally woke up uh, in their last visit to PPG Paints Arena. This one will be in Columbus on Thursday night. Uh, again, it's the bottom of the barrel. It's the easiest schedule left between the Islanders, the Panthers, and the Penguins, those three teams trying to scratch, fight, claw their way into the final two Eastern Conference playoff spots. But you have to, that has to be the caveat, right? The caveat always is, yeah, but this is the team that lost to, like I, I mentioned to Eric earlier, Vancouver way back in October, 5-1 to one, when they shouldn't have. This is the team that just in the last month or so has lost to Montreal and Ottawa at home, had to come back from 4 nothing down at home to Columbus, blew a, a comeback against Detroit after going down 3-0, coming back and evening it up at three apiece. Again, the Smith melts down. David Perron hat trick. Pizza, pizza, all that. Um, So there's no guarantees, is what I'm saying. Like they could, they should win these final three games, and that should be enough. Given what Florida has in front of them in their final three games, Uh, a trip to Washington and then Toronto and Carolina should be enough for the Pens to get in. And then they still technically do need help at at that point we'll see how it goes uh thanks to max boltman of the athletic thanks to tango for uh jumping back in uh hope to get scott burnside next week we know we're going to get Derek schooley as well uh and we'll get ready hopefully for a playoff run at this time next week hopefully we're talking about a wild card team in the eastern conference and the pittsburgh penguins even if it's a, a giant uphill battle against the boston bruins or maybe fingers crossed Knock on wood. We're talking about somehow a series against the Carolina Hurricanes. Don't know yet, but hopefully, we're talking about the playoffs somehow a week from now. A few more episodes between now and then. Make sure you've tapped follow in your Odyssey app up in the upper right hand corner to be notified of new episodes as soon as they're available. If you're on YouTube watching this, I just wave to you uh, and be sure to click the little bell there to be alerted every time there's a new video posted to the 93.7, the fan account, including these episodes of fifth Avenue face off and uh, wherever you get your podcasts. If it's not through the odyssey app, if it's not on YouTube, just be sure to subscribe, leave a like, uh, maybe leave a review. A positive one would be extra nice. uh, If you enjoy the way things are going here on fifth Avenue face off and we'll talk to you again next week.